You're listening to part one of a new Island Life series, drawing on the rich variety of material in the Manx Radio archives. Fastamai and welcome to the Archive Room. Come and join me, Judith Lay, as we revisit some broadcasting gems, memories, thoughts and stories of island life told by the people who were there. Tonight we're reviewing the evidence for, or maybe against, the Dolby spook. Did the talking, or was it singing, mongoose really live with Mr and Mrs Irving and their daughter Vori at Dulish Cashin in the 1930s, his voice seemingly coming from the rafters of the house? Did he really leave rabbits and other tokens at the door of their little farmhouse in the remote Dolby countryside? The late David Collister, with his skilled and gentle interview style, was a master at uncovering stories, and tonight we're going to hear David in conversation with Alec Caron, Reggie Bell, Ian Corlett and Kathleen Green, all local people with strong links to both the Dolby area and the legend of Jeff the Mongoose. Here's David talking with Alec Quayle Caron, who lived all his life in Glen May and went to school with Mr and Mrs Irving's daughter, Vori. The first recollection I've got of Mr and Mrs Irving was coming in to see Mother in the little cafe in the middle of the hill. Mrs Irving was a tall woman, good-looking woman. Mr Irving wasn't quite so good-looking. <laughs> Vori, the daughter, they were all living at Dirlish Cashin, but... Mr and Mrs Irvin used to come into the cafe and she was known as Mrs Jephalomy because she would tell you a yarn and she used to say, well, do you follow me? <laughs> so they christened her Mrs Jephalomy. When the Derby spook broke out... How did it come about that? How did the story get around? Well, I suppose that in the first instance, Mr and Mrs Irvin would be pushing this thing... And the media got a hold of it. Yes. As the thing progressed, there was a lot of influential people. A fellow named Lambert was put in prison in London for it. Yes. For defamation of character. All these respected people used to come over here and stop in homely house here. And they used to trek up there at night time. And what were they supposed to see when they got there? Well, they didn't see anything. Only the talking mongoose. Yeah. There was nothing. It was only Vori throwing a voice, that's all it was. A guarantee, that's all it was. I mean to say, uh, my guarantee may not be much, but it was that all it was. Did you ever get to know Vori yourself? Vori? Yeah. I went to school with Vori. Yeah. And she was just an ordinary girl. Was there any evidence of her throwing a voice at school or anything? No, none whatsoever. Just an ordinary girl. But you see... Mr and Mrs Irvin struck on the idea, that is only my knowledge of it, struck on the idea that they could make a pound or two out of it, you see. And Jeff, the Derby spook, he was bringing rabbits to the door. This was all coming out when Mr and Mrs Irvin were talking to my mother in the cafe. So it was struck on as a a money-making proposition, I would think. An old farmer once told me that Mr Irving had come back from, I think, America or somewhere, a foreign location, and brought several mongoose with him. Not to my knowledge. Hmm. Not to my knowledge. 
So there's ever been no evidence you know of a mongoose actually being about? Oh, no, 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 no. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. But, however, it got very much media publication. Yeah. And as I say, those influential people used to come and stop with Mr. and Mrs. Brighton here and trek up at night time about a couple of miles up the rugged road and sit in the house and listen to what he throw in a voice. And when Mr. and Mrs. Irvin died, I don't know exactly where they died now. And Vori, she went and drugged us to live. The media interest has continued with this story right through all these years. Even up, up to now, people are still interested in this oh, story. Oh, yes, yes. We had a, a book here. It was interesting reading about the Derby spook. But it's only the media that was blown up. What could the Irvings have got out of it, though? Publicity. But why did they need it? Why did they want publicity? Well, I wouldn't know. Well, that was Doolish Cashin, uh, a stone-built house, presumably. Oh, is yes, is there very... anything of it left now? Nothing at all left now. Well, I haven't been up for some years, but they tell me that there's nothing left of the house whatsoever. You would hardly know there's a house there. And down here in the village, then, the, the whole story was regarded as something of a joke, was it? Yes, definitely. Something as a joke. Well, a very definite verdict there from lifelong resident of Glen May, Alec Caron. Mr Caron was very sure that the Irvings enjoyed, indeed encouraged, the publicity, the media attention. But in fact, it was a local man who was the first to get the story into print. He was Reggie Bell, born in 1908 and working on the Peel Guardian in the early 1930s when the Dolby Spook story was at its height. Well, I, what I remember most of all is... The journey from Glen May up to the farm. Doolish Cashin. Doolish Cashin. It was a full moon, and there was four of us from Peel, well-known characters. Joe Gale, he had a car, and he, he drove us to Glen May. Mm-hmm. Then there was Jack Moore, he was the sub-postmaster in Peel. And then Clucas Crellin was the third. I don't know, do you know him or not, yes. but he was... He was a teacher. Teacher at the high school right. and uh, a bit of a golfer. And he's a next-door neighbour, too. Mm-hmm. So you set off up the hill, then? I'd, I'd never been up there before. And the only person who'd been up was Jack Moore, when he had been a telegraph boy, delivering odd telegrams. What was the house itself like, then? Stone-built? Uh, little, yes. You might call it a typical Manx farmhouse. Mm-hmm. A, a small farmhouse. Yeah. But the exciting part of the night was... The house at the back sloped back to the ground. Mm. The front was normal, but at the back, yeah. you could step from the earth, one step and you were on the roof kind of thing. So Klugas Crown got up on the roof that night and they, they had the doormat <laughs> and they put it over the top of the chimney. Well, that caused a creation. They wondered where the smoke was coming from, I think, at first. And then after that... He came out at the door shouting he would shoot us and he had the gun, a shotgun in his arms. Really? Whether he would or not, but they were they were smoked out. Yeah. And there was a lot of people there. It must have been thirty or I should think. Well there was one lot from Castletown even. They'd come all now, they were found their way up there, I don't know. And whether you're standing outside the house or what? Yes, like a yard in front of Well what they'd gone to see the spook, had they? Well, it's hard to see the spook or to hear about him. 
because the story was going round, really. People were talking about it, and yeah. nobody knew anything. This would be in the 30s or earlier, would it? 1932, I think, would yeah, be. right. Had you just gone up to try and find out a bit, or had you just gone up for, would, for, for the fun of, of it? Out of curiosity. Oh, yeah. Out of curiosity. Most interesting, I, climbing up from the Glen Mayo down in the dip, mm. up to this place up in the hills. Yeah. I would have liked to have gone back and climbed it again, but I've never gone back, really. really? No. no. Did you go expecting to see this mongoose or not? Well, I don't know whether we expected to see him, but we we were kind of um, caught up in the in the background. Toward what what was this thing that was going on, running behind the, the eaves? Isn't yeah, it? that's right. I think this girl from Irving's. Yeah. I think she was going to Patrick's school at the t- at the time. Vary, Vary, mm. and I think she was spreading the the information daily. Yeah, and the kids were taking it all home, and the parents were. Getting interested is the same as what we were interested, because there were a lot of people there. Really, I don't know what the object was. Mrs. Irving herself was a very smartly dressed lady. She used to walk into Peel. We lived in Glenfarber Road at that time, and because she came down from Patrick walking, all dressed up, very smart, and her boots were worn mass of mud. <laughs> I've never forgotten it. Right. Well, we're pretty muddy up in the farm, I suppose. Well, they're coming down the lane. Down the lane, yes. She would come down to Glen May. She wouldn't right. go around the... There was a kind of a roadway up from further over in Derby, but she'd be taking the shortest route. Oh, still a long walk, wasn't it? Oh, yes. But yeah. they had to come in to pay for groceries and shopping and... Did they run... What Did they have a... Was it a farm, the thing itself or not? I wouldn't say it was a farm, really, because there's only one man and his wife and this oh. girl. Did they keep animals? Well, I wouldn't like to say, no. but I, I presume they would have a cow, wouldn't they? Oh. Or maybe more. Yeah. But they had a, it was supposed to be a little bit of a farm. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know how you would make a living otherwise. This this crowd then would be disappointed, presumably, wouldn't they? I don't know about disappointment, but they're all excited when he came at the front door with the gun. <laughs> I'll shoot you. So anyway, somebody went up and pulled the, the mat away and yeah. the smoke went up and... <laughs> okay. You didn't, did they come out and say anything about this mongoose or not? No, only to clear off, that was oh, all. That was uh, it, uh, yeah. uh, but people were, go- were going up continually yeah. after that. That was only one episode. I, of course. I don't know what the other events occurred, but. Well, when did you write about it for the Peel Guardian? Well, that was to be, be about this time. Yes. That would be, say, March 32. I know it was a light night and it was a full moon. Mm. You could see the, the roadway up. Otherwise, yeah. it would be, be in darkness. Sure. You would never have found a way up, but it was a brilliant moonlight night. Yeah. Your article then that went into the, in the Peel Guardian, that, would you think that's the first time anyone wrote anything well, about it? There was nothing in the Manx press from what I was aware of. No. Because if there would have been, Mr Palmer would have had it in... Something in the news. Yes. He would have had to write something. Mm. But he hadn't. You were as, working as a sort of junior reporter, were you? No, I was a compositor. Right. Well, I used to write the football notes and things like that. But, <laughs> yeah. And an odd little bit. But I didn't do very much, really. No. Did you ever meet Vorry? I never spoke to him. I knew him by sight well right. enough, yes. yes. But I didn't know him. I didn't know the father. No. I never remember him. 
There was no idea then of where, how this could have started because somebody that I spoke to a while back said they thought that the, the people who had occupied Doolish Cashin before the Irvings had imported some, some animals from America. Never heard that. No. No, never. I never heard of anybody being there before the Irvings, really. Yeah. After that, of course, there was interest from far and wide beyond the island, wasn't it? It was worldwide almost, wasn't it? There was yeah. always something appearing in some paper or other. Yeah. It was a kind of an interesting story, really, if, they, if people could have got to the basic facts behind it. Mm. What was the object of doing this exercise? Why, why did she put this story around about speaking to somebody up in the, in, in the rafters? Yes. I've not spoken to anybody that could have even dreamt of a, of a talking mongoose being there at all. They didn't know what a mongoose was, did they? I said, well, I didn't. I wouldn't know yet, really, what a mongoose was. She gave it a name. She called it Jeff. Jeff, Jeff. I think it was, yes. yes. Did it's... you ever read any of the books and articles afterwards that came out? No, I never read any, no. no. Well, I, I'd seen it from the beginning, really, and heard all the stories and the... After I left uh, Palmer's, I was in the insurance business and yeah. Dolby was part of my round. Oh, was it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Did people often talk about it? Well, not often, but <laughs> if it cropped up, they would talk about it. Yes. Well, what they knew, I don't think they knew any more than what we knew, really. No. People in Peel. It's really a sort of mystery, isn't it? It's, it's a real... Uh, yes, it's something that you, you could talk about for long enough. And she was... She must have had a gift for spreading this information. Mm. They also said she could throw her voice as well. Well, uh, she must have been. Uh, whether she was, I don't know. But uh, the only man I ever remembered uh, being in the house was Willie Kelly, the corn and seed merchant. Uh, he lived next door to us, actually, in in Peel. Uh, but he had the business in, opposite the old railway station. Mm. Well, he, he had his stores there and... Uh, he went, he went up the same night. How he got up, I don't know, but he went into the house. He was known. He, oh, yes. he must be one of his customers. Mm. But I think they used to let reporters in, didn't they, and uh, try and get something happening so that well, it, 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 it they kept... Could make, what could they make out of it? I mean, they weren't selling anything, were they? <laughs> I often ask this, what advantage did they have? It didn't bring them money, did it? Well, I couldn't see any way... If you came over to the island as a visitor and I said, well, we go up to, to Dulles Cash and have a, a look around, there'd be nothing to see, really. It's only an no. old farmhouse. Yeah. And there's no background to it, really. Anyway, you didn't take it very seriously, did I, you? No, I didn't. I don't think anybody did, really. But this, the, the girl, she had a lot of... She had a, a peculiar... I don't know, really. She was gifted in telling stories, as you might say, because... Yeah. She used to spread the news in the school. Yes. And the course, the kiddies went home and said, something happened up at Doris Cash tonight. Barry is telling us, and, you know, <laughs> another tale. Yes. And, and they were all being stored up and, and talked about. Uh, the pity of it is that Vary never came out and really told us what it was about. No, it's a pity she didn't make it public, really. It would have cleared up a lot of... Wouldn't it? Yes. And made a... Well, given her a little bit of a standing do that she I could do this kind of thing right. and get away with it. Yeah. 
Reggie Bell, the man who wasn't even a full-time journalist, yet wrote the very first newspaper report of the Dolby spook. And whilst Mr Bell says that, with the passing of Vorry Irving, the truth of Jeff the Mongoose can never really be known, the story lives on. Ian Corlett lived in the west of the island long after the mongoose had ceased to draw crowds to the remote Dolby farmhouse. But it was still a topic of conversation in his family. The Irvings were friends of Ian's great-grandfather, as both were from Scotland, and Ian remembers being taken by his uncle to visit the Irvings, although this was after the Dolby spook story had died down. Still in search of answers, David Collister asked Ian Corlett if he'd any idea how the story had started. My grandmother told me that Mr Irving came down to me great-grandfather's farm at Balaquane. And he said, Willie, have you got a trap? He said, I've got a ferret or something. In the house, it was lined with a, a boarding, like a panelling. Mm. So you gave him a trap. Anyway, I think it was about a week or something after they said he came down. He said, will you catch that uh, polecat, whatever you had? He said, no, the thing started to talk. So that's the first that I heard of it. Yeah. But anyway, I can remember the boy, all these cars lined along the road, and I think the young chaps, you know, young farmers, and were playing jokes on them, stuffing potatoes up the exhaust pipes and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yes. I think the local thought it was a bit of a, it was a hoax or something. Mm. I, I, none of them that I knew ever heard him, and I'd been up there for tea many times. I never heard him. No. But they did say that Vori was something of, ven- of a ventriloquist. Yeah, that's right. They did say that. Well, there's no doubt that Vori Irving is the key to this legend with her gifts as a storyteller, giving the latest news of Jeff the Mongoose to her friends at Patrick's school. But did she have natural skills as a ventriloquist? Could she really throw her voice? Kathleen Green, who was born Kathleen Christian in Dolby in January 1912, shared some very definite views when she chatted some years ago with David Collister, beginning with her recollections of the Irving family and her own search for the Dolby spook. They were very nice people, very polite, and they did quite a good business with all this campus about the spook. The people coming from London and all over the place to hear about the spook. And they would tell them all these tales about what the spook could do and what it couldn't do and all. And there was no such a thing. What, a talking mongoose? There was no such a thing. I'll tell you why we could prove it. When the mongoose was about, all the young people from Peel and over were coming up, you know, fellas and girls, it was terrible fun. Every night when it was nice and fine, you all went up to see the spook. There was nothing there, you know. Only young people all fooling about, you know. And <laughs> Did you go to see the spook? Yes, regular. And what happened in the house then? I mean, what, what were you supposed to see then? I don't know what he was supposed to be like. Some were saying he was like a weasel and some were saying he was a sort of a mongoose. I couldn't tell you what we're supposed to see. You never saw a mongoose? Oh, no, no. One night after it was all gone quiet, there were three girls of us decided we would go up and see what the spook about. It was a lovely moonlight night. So we went from the bottom of Glen May Hill, up a little lane, to the house. Now, oh. you, you could climb up onto the roof easy enough. And we got up there. There wasn't a soul about. So we went round to the gable. There was a window in the gable of the house. 
So we listened in there, the three of us were listening in there, and the two women were in the house, Mrs Irvin and Bobby, and they were throwing what looked like an ordinary tin box, and they were catching it, you know, just making a big bang. Yeah. Then the other one was throwing it, and she was catching it. And laughing, you know. Yeah. Having their own sort of fun, you know. Yeah. Anyway, the next salute, we heard Mrs. Irvin singing Jerusalem the Golden. Yeah. It's a hymn. It must have been me, I think, that laughed out loud. <laughs> and we heard Vary say, Hush, mother, there's somebody about. So we three went straight away round, knocked at the door. Yeah. We've come to see the spook. <laughs> oh, he's just been out. Oh, has he? Yes. Uh, Willie Quirk's sister was the uh-huh. talker. She said, what was he doing? He was singing Jerusalem the Golden. <laughs> well, I was sitting up near the fires, a good job I was. And the other two girls were sitting further back. Uh-huh. So we sat there, and we sat, and Mrs. Irvin was sitting in a rocking chair, and she was pushing the rocking chair back mm. and just touching the wall with it. Mm. And she said, there he is. He's uh. about. He's about enough. Yeah. And there's those three fools sitting there, you know. <laughs> then a, a, a bit later on, she'd push her foot along the line, oh, he's still about. Yes, he'll be out any time now. <laughs> well, we sat and we sat, <laughs> and he didn't come. Body, she was with us, like, if she, if she'd go out on the porch, maybe he'll come then, you know. But she went out, no, nothing at all. Mm-hmm. So we waited there for a good long time. And then we got fed up, we said, well, we better be going home. So we set off down the lane, and we were all walking single, because only a little narrow lane, you know. Wanda shouted, did you see her moving her feet? Yes, I did. <laughs> did you see her doing something else? Yes, we did. <laughs> yes. The next salute we heard, good evening. This was Mr Irving. He'd heard all the conversation. Oh. He was coming home. Oh, he was coming the other way. He was coming the other way. <laughs> and he must have been hearing all our shouting, you because know, we're shouting to each other, you know, right. all the way down. So that was left. So I said, well, that was proof enough that there was no such a thing. It was proof. People have told me that Vori used to throw her voice she could. A, a, as a, like a ventriloquist. She could. Yeah. Because I've heard her, when she was going to school, throwing her voice up the field and shouting like a cat. Really? Yeah. And I know my cousin Anne said that she's been in the schoolyard and hearing voices coming out of the church and she was terrified. After you'd both grown up, and uh, did you talk to Vary when she was left school at all? Well, he didn't ask her about the spook. Why not? Because she was supposed to be seeing this thing in the hedges. She believed in it, did she? She was telling us to she believe in it. She was telling you to believe, to believe in, in it. it. Yes, uh, yes, yes. So it was a big hoax, was it? Oh, an absolute hoax. A good few years afterwards, there was two or three men came and they were staying at the Balacallan Hotel and they were looking for the spook. So I was telling them about, you know, what I knew. They said, do you know where she lives? I said, no, I don't know where she lives at all, but I knew what town she was living in. And I told them. And they went and found her and she was awful mad that I'd put her on to them, yes. So she's never wanted to talk about it since, has she? Oh, no. Oh, no. She had a sister away 
and she went away to look after her. Thank you, Kathleen Green, Ian Corlett, Reggie Bell and Alec Caron. And of course, sincere thanks to the late David Collister. And my personal thanks to Manx Radio's archivist, Tim Price, who's selecting the stories for this series. At this time next week, The Coffee Palace and Key Hobblers, the parrot that lived in the British Hotel and keeping cows in the town. Intrigued? Join me at six next Thursday or subscribe and listen at your leisure to all the podcasts as they're available via manxradio.com. But that's all for now. This is Judith saying thank you for listening and let's give the final word on the Dolby spook to Kathleen Green. Does it really matter whether it was true or just a hoax? Well, last and it was really good fun, you know. Station